0: Hello, and welcome to The Scott Mize Show, a podcast focused on health, diet, bodybuilding, and philosophy. I interview experts, doctors, coaches, and N equals one case studies to answer your questions about improving health, achieving your best physique, and making sustainable progress. We'll cover topics from carnivore and ketogenic diets, to bodybuilding, to life philosophy, and everything in between. Enjoy the show. Carnivore and ketogenic diets can be an excellent way to combat diseases we commonly associate with aging and degeneration in the modern world. But if you're like me, you want to do everything possible to stay in your prime physically and mentally as long as you can, especially with me thinking about starting a family. I really value the most research-backed ingredients and science for bettering the aging process. Today's sponsor is Neurohacker which packs seven of the most science-backed senolytic ingredients into one formula called Qualia Senolytic. And you can take it just two days a month for fast and noticeable benefits and for a much better aging process. I've been taking Qualia Senolytic for the last month, and I've already noticed a big improvement in my physical and mental energy for my family and friends, and my productivity has improved. I feel invigorated. I feel enthusiastic and ready to get things done. It's also backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee. So that means you can try it for almost three full months. And if you don't like it, there's no risk. You can decide for yourself. If you're in your late 20s or older, adding qualiacenolytic to your diet can play a crucial role in combating negative aging symptoms. Go to neurohacker.com Scott for up to 50% off qualiacenolytic. And as a listener of the show, you can use code Scott at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase again it's risk-free just go to neurohacker.com scott to try qualius analytic with code scott and start aging on your own terms thanks and back to the show dr greg kelly is the director of product development at neuro hacker collective naturopathic physician and author of the book shape shift he was the editor of the journal of alternative Medicine Review and has been an instructor at the University of Bridgeport in the College of Naturopathic Medicine, where he taught classes in advanced clinical nutrition, counseling skills and doctor-patient relationships. Dr. Kelly has published hundreds of articles on natural medicine and nutrition, contributed three chapters to the textbook of natural medicine, has more than 30 journal articles ind- indexed on PubMed. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kelly. Thanks for having me today, Scott. Of course, of course, um, and uh, I think your your research is really fascinating. I'm very excited to dive into it. But I'm curious, you know, what is your what is your personal journey um, with health and nutrition? What got you interested in this space? Sure. So it goes back So my
1: original degree was um, I think they called it management engineering, but akin to industrial engineering, and I it was a Navy ROTC scholarship. So when I completed that degree. I went directly into the navy as an officer that was 1984 and um i was one of the weird officers right i cared about what i ate um and in part it it started pretty early in that time in the navy it occurred to me that i'd only ever eaten what people put in front of me whether that was my mom god bless her for always making great meals or you know in college and i had a buddy that was you know would have been your stereotypical gym rat, like Great Shape for the Navy. And I just asked him, I'm like, well, what, what do you eat? And at the time, um, the book he gave me, I believe it was called Eat to Win by Elson Haas, but it would have been, um, you know, what was popular in that, you know, mid 1980s, so a high complex carb, low fat type of thing. And that became my blueprint at, at that point. But but well, long story short, almost from the get-go in the Navy, I was committed to getting in better shape, doing whatever I could to stay healthy, eat better. Um, and the environment wasn't ideal for that. I was on ships and so sleep deprived for a good chunk of that next five and a half years and five o'clock disruption because of rotating ship work, blah, blah, blah. But long story short, before I got out of the Navy, at that point I had to give a year's notice. Um, Just in essence, so that my current orders would be fulfilled and I wouldn't get new ones. And my intention was to become essentially a gypsy and just, you know, pare down to a backpack, kind of wander around the planet for the first time ever. And it occurred to me that to do that well, I'd need to step up my game and be better able to take care of myself. So I, you know, started to go to the library, pulled out books, and just stumbled on things on natural medicine, you know, so herbs, acupuncture, homeopathy, all kinds of things, and thought, wow, this is cool. How could I have never heard of any any of these things? Which would make sense, right? Uh, you know, coming from a pretty um, conservative background in the U.S. Navy, and so I started diving into those and long story short i never did the trekking around the world with my backpack i stumbled on naturopathic medicine and found that as a profession it just encapsulated almost all those things i'd become super interested in and so shifted course and um, post navy did pre med, naturopathic medicine and finished that up in 96 and you know have been in the field ever since
0: yeah, super interesting. And, and what brought you to the world of nootropics and anti-aging and some of the areas that you've done a lot of work on more recently? Well, nootropics is, is um,
1: more recent in a sense. But I guess for me, one of the things I noticed when I was in naturopathic school, both as a student and then when I was teaching, is that a fair number of the people that come to that have had some type of a health challenge themselves, personally, and then a practitioner, say a naturopath or some alternative medicine practitioner, helped them overcome that challenge. And I was somewhat the opposite. I didn't come from a health challenge. It was more, I, I would almost say selfish, right? I wanted to you know, know what health looked like, do a better job at maintaining and be able to take care of mine if something unforeseen happened. So, because of that, a question that drove me really from the get-go, even in naturopathic school, was what does health look like, and how do we, you know, improve upon it? No matter where we are on the continuum, from already great health to less great. And so, that just dovetails perfectly with longevity, because the same foundational things that you would need to, you know, um, improve your health, no matter where you are, are also the things most tied to healthy aging. And, you know, without a healthy brain, there's really not, you know, healthy aging. So the brain ends up being just a pivotal player. So um, that combination and eventually nootropics, you know, I think of nootropics as being on a continuum, you know, for everything from something you do just to perform better today. But in my mind, an ideal nootropic is something that also is improving your brain so that it's going
0: to perform better for you over the the weeks months and decades to come yeah that's a really interesting philosophy and I, i feel like it's somewhat in contrast to a lot of nootropics on the market which are essentially glorified stimulants and caffeine um so it's really cool that you've taken that approach with neurohacker
1: yeah and i mean i think um caffeine since you brought it up is an interesting thing because it's very often I think people think almost in good or bad or right and wrong, almost like a binary approach to thing. And one of the things that um, you know, I believe as just a general principle is the Goldilocks principle, right? So you know, one bowl's too hot, one bowl's too cold, and one's just right. And for most things that translates into something akin to the dose makes the poison. So things like caffeine, I I tend to use the word useful as opposed to good or bad. Is there, you know, like a way to use it where it would be useful as opposed to like, you know, not using it. So
0: the bowl's too cold or overusing it, the bowl's too hot. Yeah, that's really intelligent. And um, talk about anti-aging. How did you become interested in that? How has your research there evolved? um, And what has it led to? In your work at NeuroHacker?
1: I think, um, what do they say? Something like, you know, 50 is the new 40 or something like that going back. I think, um, you know, my generation, so I'm 61 now, um, you know, I remember, so Miss probably goes back to my mid 30s going to like a buddy from Grown Up's um, wedding and from a distance seeing a bunch of people on the steps of the church. Next to him and thinking, wow, like I didn't realize he had all these uncles. And then I got closer and notice, those were my friends, right? Some that hadn't done a good job taking care of themselves. And, you know, it, like even before then, I had been, you know, an ardent practice practitioner of yoga and had been, you know, spent a little bit of a time in, um, in an around a time monastery learning meditation. Like, I, I, I think for my particular journey, the goal was always to produce, you know, more robust health. And that I guess in my mind, that always translated into you know, hitting 80, 90 and still being healthy and able to travel and do things. Like I I guess I just never conceptualized um getting limited with age. And so almost like you would invest, you know, financially for the future. I I've just, you know, going back even to that time period in naturopathic school always been thinking in terms of you know are there things i can do now that are good investments for my future so it was never really like a point in time per se that oh i'm super interested in longevity now the fields just blossomed in that time but it's always been an interest and a lot of the things that you know that so naturopathic traditional wisdom so to speak right so um you know, the use of hot and cold. And now you see people using the cold plunges, right, to toughen themselves up to create that hermetic response, you know, as a way to, you know, generate more mitochondrial and cellular fitness. So I think what's happened is that a lot of the more pride and true or naturopathic wisdom, which was often borrowed from other traditions, is now just better understood in terms of the mechanisms of how these things, impact, becoming healthy, mitochondrial networks,
0: staying healthy. This episode is brought to you by LMNT Electrolytes. This month, we're switching it up with an exclusive offer that's only for VIP LMNT partners, including Carn WordCast listeners. You can now receive this free sample pack along with any regular purchase when you use my custom link, which is provided in the show notes or my Instagram link in bio. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash Karnor cast, all one word. And as I said, I'll include the link in the show notes. LMNT electrolytes are convenient, evidence-based, and delicious. And get yours today to help support the show. Thank you. Can you talk about um, cellular ce- ce- Um, And I may be pronouncing that wrong. Um, but what is, what is senescence and, and how does it affect us?
1: Yeah, so senescence just literally translates as you know, aging, it's from some, I think they're Latin words. Um, But I guess stepping back a bit, um, there's generally thought to be two big camps in the anti-aging community. One would essentially say that the reason we age or experience aging um, with the decline in health and symptoms is because of damage accumulation in our cells, mitochondria, tissues. Another camp would say that we're programmed to age. You know, once we've reproduced, we, you know, our genes have done their part, and so there's almost a built-in software program that just says, "Okay, start to you know experience aging." And there's probably like truth to both camps, but what's then emerged in that um, that longevity world was originally called the nine hallmarks of aging. The idea being that organisms, whether they're flies, mice, primates like you know, monkeys or us, we all experience certain characteristics as we age. And one of those original nine was called cellular senescence. And the idea being is that, um, so cells can make clones of themselves, divide, basically create son and daughter cells, right? That's called mitosis. A senescent cell is one that can no longer do that. It's been frozen. So in a sense, It's a cell that's still lingering in the tissues, but can't now make copies of itself. So that's really what defines senescence as a category. But within that category, there's all kinds of, I guess, nuances of what would be a senescent cell. And the original work came out of um, something in 1961, but basically it used to be thought that if you put cells in a, a culture, and as long as there was enough nutrients that that cell line would just keep reproducing itself forever and what happened in 1961 this researcher named Hayflick discovered that after about 50 divisions cells would no longer make clones of themselves they just stopped dividing and so that became termed senescence that that inability for a cell to continue making copies of itself past a certain point um, and I would say more specifically, that's what would be called replicative senescence in today's lingo. What eventually was found is that the reason for that is because of telomeres. Um, Telomeres are these caps at the end of DNA that don't replicate. So each time we make a copy of our DNA, we lose a little bit at the edge. Those are the telomeres or became known as telomeres. And at some point when that telomere attrition, we lost enough chunks, a cell will execute a stress response and just say, OK, I'm not going to make copies. And that makes sense because we don't want to copy damaged DNA. Right. So if, if there's a possibility of damage, then the cell will say, enough. Um, but what was eventually sent, found in the, this this was all cell culture work at the time, was that you could get a cell to execute the senescence program way in advance of telomeres becoming too short if you you know, deprived the cell culture of nutrients or exposed it to ionizing radiation or did a number of different things that basically stressed the cell. And so within the category of senescence, there's that you know, telomere, attrition, replicative senescence, but there's also what's thought of as um, stress-induced premature senescence. So way before a cell would you know stop dividing and making copies, if there's things done to stress it, it will just execute that senescence, senescence program. And the reason that's important is I think of stress as a continuum, at least cellular stress specifically. Right? So if um, like say nutrient deprivation, right, for whatever reason, you and I decide to do a prolonged fast, that would, that would be a stress signal to our cells. So what they'll invariably try to do is along a continuum of adaptation and one of the first things that cells always try to do is protect themselves. You know, so that would be things like upregulating glutathione and antioxidant defense, things that would make them you know, essentially better able to weather a tough environmental storm. If stress is beyond that, then usually they'll take some damage. And that's where autophagy comes in, which I'm sure you know of and probably many of the listeners have heard. And autophagy is something that a stress group Response program that's essentially saying, "Okay, we've taken some damage. Some proteins inside the cell maybe became misfolded or damaged. Some organelle got dinged a little bit. Let's repair those things and recycle what we can." So it's it's an internal process. It's still one where maintenance is ongoing, trying to improve the health of the cell. And if the stress is more than that, that's when senescence kicks in. And at that point, in a simple story, the Damage is sufficient, that the cell's like, OK, we can't fix it. Let's just suspend this cell so it doesn't make any more copies of itself. And then we'll worry about it later. And then the worry about it later, that's called apoptosis, which literally translates as falling off. It's from a Greek word. But think of the, the sense of like fruit falling off of a tree or a leaf falling off a plant. So um, whether a cell becomes senescent or not, once a cell is, goes by its use by date, so to speak, it should enter into this program called apoptosis where it literally falls out of the tissue and it, it fragments, it just, you know, breaks apart. Um, and it's a very organized process by cells. And then the immune system just comes in and you know, um, gobbles off those little fragments. So um, what happens with senescence is that in theory, a senescent cell should eventually go through that apopt- apoptosis process. But in an aging context, what happens? And I guess stepping back, so if we were like a lot of the work's been done in mice, uh, because you have to do tissue biopsies to look at senescent cells. But in a a young mouse, senescent cells will be created. Like young mouse, maybe intense exercise, like running on a wheel, they'll make some senescent cells. But the half life, meaning how long they'll stay in tissues, is you know in days. So they'll just naturally go through this falling off process and or the immune system will find them. But in old mice, what happens is weeks later, there's still huge numbers of these senescent cells that are lingering. So that's what, that's distinction. In young organisms, they tend to make some senescent cells, but they're transient. They, they complete this falling off process. While in older organisms, they get made and they linger. And the analogy that we often use at Neurohacker Collective, is to think of a vibrant plant, all full with green leaves. And now you start noticing, oh, there's a couple of yellowing leaves on the plant. And those yellowing leaves are now attracting, you know, some pests that, you know, may now cause nearby leaves to yellow. They're so also using some of the resources that could be better spent on keeping other leaves green and vibrant. And ideally, those yellowing leaves on their own would just fall off the plant. But some may not, right? That's why gardeners come in and periodically prune away a plant. So, in a, the senescent cell story, think of the senescent cells as equivalent to those yellowing leaves. There are things in our tissues that are very like that, right? They're um, no longer healthy, they're no longer the equivalent of the green, vibrant leaves. They're still using resources, right? Kind of starving, we're using those resources that might be better spent somewhere else. In that tissue. And they, similar to yellowing leaves on a plant, can cause nearby cells to also become senescence. That's sometimes called secondary senescence or the bystander effect. But because of that, if we don't do things to prune them off, then they just gradually accumulate through the aging process. And so as an example, I think in one of the studies, they looked in very old primates. And in some tissues, there was as many as 15% of the cells in those tissues were senescent. So just again, think of like that yellowing plant with 15% of it covered with yellowing leaves, right? There's, yeah, That's going to be a plant that has struggles to do well in any environment. And so that's kind of what happens as we age. We go from, you know, like you know, maybe in our 20s, um, early 30s, having... A relatively low number of these yellowing leaves in our different tissues, to then
0: just gradually accumulating more each decade. Yeah, that's really interesting. And how how does um, how can what are ways in which we can um, alter the senescent process in ourselves?
1: Well, I think there's um, there's a few different ways, but I think uh, so. The immune system's always the backup plan, right? So if if any cell is stressed, ultimately it's the job of the immune system to be able to say, okay, this cell's, you know, this one's stressed. It's it's, you know, still self, right? It's maybe not a non-self cell, right? Like an invader, but it's one that that needs to be pruned away. So we always want to do things to support a healthier immune system, and and really a lot of that has to do with lifestyle, like so. Um, exercise, I think, has been the most studied thing for helping in general to prevent the accumulation of senescent cells. And probably because the right dose of exercise is one of the best things we can do for our immune system. So, but you know, my guess is, you know, sleep, straps, all these other things we know are, are good for healthy aging. Eventually we found that part of that reason is that they help um, prevent the accumulation. But once they've accumulated, one of the characteristics of senescent cells is um, basically, they usually will say SCAP networks, but that stands for senescent cell anti-apoptotic pathways. But long story short is these lingering senescent cells, the ones that tend to accumulate with age, have generally found a strategy to prevent themselves from going through this falling off process. And it gets like into complicated science, but because of that, the natural clearance of them that would happen in young animals. This doesn't happen in older animals, and so starting, I think their first time was in 2009. Their research on this, but they genetically altered animals so that they would make less sen- senescent cells, and they found that those animals had were healthier through the aging process. And then in 2015, Mayo Clinic and Scripps Research or Scripps Institute of Aging, so a think tank. Um, noticed that giving certain compounds would cause senescent cells to basically go through this falling off process so instead of resisting apoptosis they would finally change their mind and go through so they would be the equivalent of falling off the plant finally and they gave the term senolytics to compounds that do that that basically reverse this resistance to um, apoptosis so that's. Um, you know, eight years ago now, and since then, there's just been a growing amount of interest in the research community and the longevity community in things that would fit into that senolytic category. So, again, senolytics would be things that, in a simple sense, would convince a senescent cell that's lingering in our tissues to finally go through this falling off process. And um, some of the most, I guess, interesting ones today happen to be um, flavonoids. Flavonoids are are a subset of polyphenols, the natural plant defense compounds like um, fissotin, quercetin, um, as being the two that have been the most studied to date.
0: And um, can you talk about qualia senolytic and what it does, how it works, um, and how it can help complement some of these things?
1: Yeah, so qualia senolytic, we launched um, about a year ago and um, so, the, I guess stepping back before we get to that. So, one of the ways in animal studies and the ongoing human studies is that senolytics aren't like a vitamin that you would take, a, a, you know, like a low dose every day. Um, from the get go, what they termed was a hit and run approach. But the general idea is that I mentioned that senescent cells we would normally make. So, as an example, if you and I did something that um, resulted in an injury you know we inj- like uh injured our tissue because of overtraining something like that we're going to make some senescent cells part of what they do is useful I, I mentioned earlier i like that idea of useful versus good or bad so senescent cells aren't all bad they these transient ones we would make after some kind of a, a trauma they help to call the immune system in and to help regenerate tissue um, What are problematic are these ones lingering that don't fall off the plants. And so, one of the ideas almost from the get go with senolytics was this hit and run dosing. Let's just do a high dose of these things that can help, you know, this falling off or pruning away process, but let's not do them every day and interfere with potentially good things that ethan cells may be doing as well. And so, Qualia senolytic was um, created with that understanding in mind. So, it's something. That, like, as an example, I do it my first weekend of the month. So I just took, um, these last couple of days, the first Monday of the month, at least when we're um, recording this. And then we also designed it based on the current understandings of, um, different mechanisms involved with helping to renormalize these APOP top pathways. So long story short, the compound that's been most studied to date is quercetin, which so is The second most commonly is bisetin. And bisetin often, at least in the, the animal studies and the human studies, is usually dosed alone at a pretty high dose. So, like the human studies, we use 20 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So, um, when we created um, bicetin but in general, all your products in, um, in, as a product line, one of the things we always look at is a systems approach to things. So we tend to have fairly um, robust formulas, meaning you you won't see many things, anything we currently make that just has one or two ingredients. We try to think of how can we stack things together to create a more, I guess, like holistic impact on the systems, in this case, for um, senescent cells, that would be allowing the cell to linger. So, you know, we, um, quercetin, lic combined quercetin, bicetin, but then other plant compounds that help overcome other sticking points of senescent cells. So um, hyperlongamine is a, a alkaloid from long pepper, an Ayurvedic um, rejuvenator. Um, we also use some turmeric and milk thistle. And the goal is to understand the mechanisms that cells are using to linger and you know help add things to that collectively will normalize those um, scap pathways. So that was synolytic that's um, led to that product. And it's been very successful for us. I know I, I um, you know, started taking it in our R&D phase. You know, then we did after that um, a small study on it before we launched it. Um, another one after we launched it, and are in the process of just now um, starting a third study on it. So, um, you know, product that I think, um, like when we first made it, part of the, the, at least internal conversation at Neurohacker Collective was, you know, we'd like to take something like this. So let's just make it for ourselves. There'll probably be a small subset of biohackers and people in the longevity communication that like us think, oh, this is cool. I'd like to take this. So we've been very surprised that it's, been um, as well embraced as it has because we never, like it's, it's a product that requires a fair amount of education just to understand
0: why you would take it. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive. And um, can you talk about uh, maybe the, whichever study you'd like to, but maybe the pilot study, the impact on the RAND SF36?
1: Sure. Yeah, so we, um, so that was the second study. So, the RAND SF36, and um, SF just stands for short form. Um, and RAND, the, the research think tank, created this way, way back, like 30 years ago, as a general health questionnaire. So, the SF36 has what usually are thought of as concepts, but you can just think of them as subcategories built into it. So, um, you know, one would be you know, general health, another would be emotional health, you know, third would be physical health. So, there's these different um, concepts built into it. And so we thought that would be a great um, questionnaire to use to see, you know, I guess stepping back, one of the ideas of qualia, qualia is a philosophical term, but it has to do with um, a person's subjective experience of the world. So, you know, how do you, you know, versus me experience something? And so we've always thought of ourselves as a company that very much values Creating products that people can experience, that they can be health products. So, anyways, we wanted to get a sense of it within the, this um, general health questionnaire, were there certain domains that people routinely experience a benefit in from taking several cycles of polyacinolytic? And by a cycle, what I mean is take for two days, have some duration of vacation from it where you don't take it, and then retake for two days. So that would each. Two days would be one cycle. So what we did is had people do three cycles of it. And we noticed in five of the six concepts, people, the group of people that we put through this study, um, had improvements and in pretty wide areas. But one of the most, I guess, impressive was the percentage improvement and things that were in the emotional category that surprised us.
0: That's really cool. And uh, I, I didn't hear about the first study. Um, what, what was that one about?
1: Yeah. So that was, so one of the things we always do before launching a new product is we'll do some type of what we call a pre-marketing data study. So we'll recruit people, have them do the product and then use typically again, some type of a standardized questionnaire. So, you know, if we were doing sleep, we might use, you know, something that's been used in a lot of sleep studies. If we were doing a cognition thing, we would use a questionnaire more geared to that. So in this case, we were, um, so I guess stepping back, there's no great lab test you can do that's a direct correspondent to senescent cells. And um, and it's because senescent cells are, they'll use the word heterogeneous, but there's no one great marker that says, oh, this is a senescent cell, this isn't. So there's labs working on that. But one of our struggles was we wanted to do some kind of a study before we moved by into, you into know, production and then selling it. And we're thinking, well, what can we actually measure that might be meaningful? And noticed that in a couple of the ongoing studies registered on clinicaltrials.gov, they were using questionnaires related to um, what I think of as activities of daily living and flexibility. So as someone gets older, it's very common that they become less flexible you know, it becomes more painful to bend over and touch your toes. Um, and then they, they can start to struggle with things like walking up and down stairs that cause some discomfort as an example, or, you know, taking groceries out of the car, all, all things like this. So what we decided to do was use that as our questionnaire. And we recruited people that already were having some challenges in these areas and had them do three cycles of polyacenolytic over about a five-week period, just to crunch down the amount of time in the study. Um, and what we saw is that for the group as a whole, there was about a 50% improvement in these different areas. So that, that got us excited.
0: That's a pretty big difference in such a short period of time. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, really powerful. Um, well, thank you so much, Dr. Kelly. It's been awesome to get to know you and hear about your story and um, the awesome things going on at Qualia. Um, or at Neurohacker, excuse me, including Qualia and Sanalytic. Um, If folks want to check out Sanalytic, um I'll have a I'll have a link in the show notes, and you can use code Scott um, to save. And uh, where else can people find you, Dr. Kelly? And I'll have links to everything in the show notes.
1: Um, well, Neurohacker, we do a great job on social media. Um, it's not me personally; I, I help uh, out the woman Tina. That really is the star there but Instagram would be our the best place to follow us that's where we commit to really um, you know, trying to educate and inform people um, me personally you'll see I write a lot of the contact contact content that shows up on our blog so like for the synolytic as an example there's um, a blog post the formulators view of polyuscinonolytic where I go into you know more detail in terms of you know what is a senescent cell and the ingredients that are in quality of senolytic why we chose them why we included the, the amounts in a serving the, the dose that we do so um the best place to see how i think about things
0: is those types of blog posts perfect i'll have links to that in the show notes and thanks again for your time today dr kelly it's been a pleasure thanks for having me scott Thank you for listening to the show. You can find The Scott My Show on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Please leave a comment, like, review, or share the podcast with your friends or followers. It helps more people find the show.